0: Friends, welcome uh, to the What's Right show. Sam Marjofsky here. Uh, news Talk 840 KXNT today is Friday, February 17th. And uh, I, of course, will do my best to get to uh, some of the news and my reactions to everything going on today. But... I hope you'll allow me to uh, take a moment, I'll take more than a moment in fact, I will spend a bit of time, this show, uh, remembering Rush Limbaugh today, two years since his passing. Now those of you who know me and uh, have followed this show for a while, you no doubt understand the profound impact that Rush had on my life. And I certainly do not think I would be here doing this program, uh, being the great fan and enthusiast of radio, being a conservative, a young conservative, growing up listening to him, uh, can tell you that the influence that Rush had on me, as he did on, on so many of you, is difficult to explain. Now these these last two years, um, it's just been an it's it's a void of not having his voice on the radio, not having his presence, uh, his guidance, his insight, his intellect, his wit. It's almost as if uh, we took it for granted, knowing three hours every day he was there Monday through Friday. Tune in, be a familiar voice. My sister, I've mentioned this, my sister uh, had called uh, Rush Limbaugh the soundtrack, of our childhood. And in fact, I, I know we, we all have a rush story. We have a, a, a moment in time when, you know, browsing through the channel, there he was, there was that voice, speaking reason, cutting through all the nonsense that was going on, and delivering it, well, <laughs> delivering it succinctly and right between the eyes, on the bullseye every single time. And, uh, you know, he did it at a time, I want to point this out, the show, Rush Limbaugh program, uh, started in 1988. uh, And and you got to understand the context that in this time, the media landscape was such that conservative voices were simply not out there. They were not, yeah, you had the National Review, you had, you know, some, call it kind of high-end Conservative voices, intellectual voices, if you will, but but there really wasn't someone to talk to people, regular people, folks like us, giving us guidance, hope, extolling the virtues of America, and explaining within that context and through that prism the greatness of this country and the importance of conservative values. And Rush did that, and he connected with us. He got on the air, and he, he drew all of us in. It was nothing short of magic. I still, uh, folks time to time, will listen to his, his program and you know, replays, obviously, with voluminous libraries of his shows. And it's, it's one of the most astounding things is that you can listen to a Rush Limbaugh program from 10 years ago, and what he is saying in that moment is just as relevant uh, today as it was then. His insights, his perceptions, his takes on how this world works, the political uh, machinations, the shenanigans of the left the importance of virtue, conservative values, uh, were were always spot on, and, and they're timeless. You know, it is not unusual, friends, to have somebody who is very popular in the moment, who gains a following, who has money and wealth and success in their field, uh, to, with the passage of time, suddenly uh, be discovered to have been a passing, you know, f- flighting, you know thing that doesn't that doesn't have any lasting value a lot of times folks out there if they don't truly believe and are passionate about what they do if they just figure out well I'm going to be a you know I'm going to be a conservative host I'm going to make some money I'm going to get in the moment I'm going to take advantage of whatever the popular thing is at a at a particular time Th- those folks then disappear with with the passage of time They become irrelevant because they've attached themselves to whatever they perceive to be the flavor of the hour. Rush was not that person. From the very beginning, he was somebody that came out and spoke from his heart, came from a place of deep connection with his values, his upbringing. He knew what he believed. He never wavered in those beliefs. Uh, and then he of course uh, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is the tremendous amount of preparation that he put to be on the air each and every day to deliver as accurate and as as, as solid of a of a show as he could for all of us to enjoy. Uh, it's, it's, I remember many times he would say how how important it was for him to be prepared and to be always ready to uh, to, to deliver what, what needed to be said in, in that particular day. And that it would be accurate. And I, I have to say, this, to me, you know, as I'm, we're now here on the second anniversary of Russia's passing. I want to take a little bit of time, this show, and I, I want to, I want, I'm, I can't do it justice, folks. I can't, there are so many, Fabulous moments that we all remember from the years of listening to Rush, but I, I'd like to go through a few of them that that I that I've put together here, just to recall uh, what he was all about. I I think it's you know I think it's it's worthwhile. Many of you here uh, in Las Vegas will remember uh, the moments in your life when you were listening right here to KXNT and a Rush nine to noon and it was a part of your day I I'll tell you for me I don't have a particular moment when I remember when I can recall the first time I listened to rush my father who is uh who is who's just uh, my my hero he uh loved the show and and began listening to it discovered it on the radio we did a lot of radio listening I, I've Uh, I I was, you know, we we didn't have a TV at home growing up. It's a crazy thing. I was the only child. We were the only family in probably all of Southern California growing up without a television set. Mind you, I grew up in the, I was born in 1980. So, you know, I'm not, we're not going back to the, to the forties here, folks. I, this was, this was unheard of. I certainly was the only child in my school that didn't have a TV in the house. And so, what we did in lieu of television, is, of course, we read books, uh, but we also listened to a lot of a lot of radio. And when we would get in the car, we'd go on road trips. There would be Rush Limbaugh on the weekends. The local station KFI that uh, carried Rush when I was young, they would uh, do a rebroadcast of Best of Saturday mornings, nine to noon, and I would usually during that time period would would be on. Errands with my dad, or going somewhere with my parents, and and we would have it on and listen to to Rush. And I, from the time I was, boy, I mean I must have been about ten or twelve. So this is very early on in 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 the show. I I could call us early adopters, early fans, uh, ditto heads of the Rush Limbaugh program. And we would listen in the car, and then my father and I would talk about it, and we would we would take apart what was being said, and it it was it was. One of those moments or many moments that together kind of form some of my earliest memories, thinking about politics and understanding the way that this world works and i was and this all was happening at a at a at a very young age and i I also distinctly remember hearing the show and understanding that at some point this was being done live by somebody who was speaking extemporaneously uh, in you know from behind a microphone. And delivering this incredible performance, and I was in awe with it as a kid. I was absolutely enthralled that somebody could do this as effectively, as elegantly, as 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 gracefully as Rush did. So I'm going to take a quick break here and take you through some of my favorite memories this by and again i i it's not an exhaustive list folks i can't it's it's impossible to do uh and i you know as I was preparing for today's uh show i i there's just more content more tremendous moments than i could possibly uh could possibly uh, pull together in a mere two hours uh thank you for listening I, again and permit me i know many of you uh share my same love for rush we miss him tremendously and are so grateful that we had the years and the time that we did with him listening to his program. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievable to think two years since Rush passed away. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT, could call us early adopters, early fans, uh, ditto heads of the Rush Limbaugh program. And we would listen in the car and then my father and i would talk about it and we would we would take apart what was being said and it it was it was one of those moments or many moments that together kind of formed some of my earliest memories thinking about politics and understanding the way that this world works and i was and this all was happening at a at a at a very young age and i i also distinctly remember hearing the show and understanding that at some point this was being done live by somebody who was speaking extemporaneously uh, in you know from behind a microphone and delivering this incredible performance and I was in awe with it as a kid I was in, absolutely enthralled that somebody could do this as effectively as elegantly as 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 gracefully as Rush did so I'm going to take a quick break here and take you through some of my favorite memories. This by and again, I, I it's not an exhaustive list, folks. I can't; it's it's impossible to do. Uh, and I, you know, as I was preparing for today's uh, show, I, I there's just more content, more tremendous moments than I could possibly uh, could possibly uh, pull together in a mere two hours. Uh thank you for listening. I again and permit me. I know many of you uh share my same love for Rush. We miss him tremendously and are so grateful that we had the years and the time that we did with him listening to his program and uh, you know it's just it's just unbelievable to think 2 years. Since Rush passed away, Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT.
1: If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer.
0: It's not just about the settlement check, it's about representing your interests and your values. So call
1: Sam and Ash at 702 820 1234 or visit samandashlaw.com.
0: And welcome back, folks. Uh, great to have you with us here, Friday, the 17th of February, the What's Right Show. Coming at you straight ahead. Friends, today, uh, remembering Rush Limbaugh two years uh, since his passing, uh, I've, I've went through a little bit why Rush was so important to me. I, I, I've described Rush as my radio mentor. Uh, we never met, but he, you know, he, unbeknownst to Rush, of course, he, he taught me more of everything that I know about radio than anyone else. I've listened to, I mean, again, grew up listening to his shows and certainly as a kid and into early adulthood shaped me in ways that are difficult to explain. Now, I mentioned uh, last segment that the, well, that the, the, the years and years of accumulated content on The Rush Limbaugh Show is now, today, if you go, back to it and listen to it, it is just as present, it's just as relevant, it is just as insightful and true as it was in the moment that it was said. Going back, for example, here on this program I frequently talk about the, (laughs) all the folks that, the do-gooders, the do-good libs that whether it be on matters of race, on matters of sh- social justice, homelessness, for example. They don't intend actually to procure solutions for the problem at hand because that would rid them of their means of driving income. <laughs> so there is almost this perverse disincentive in the way that these organizations, be they state-run or private, operate. There's not – most of them, some private ones do, but most of these folks uh, have a vested interest in seeing to it that the problem that they are looking to eradicate only gets worse, which is, of course, the entire meaning and thought behind CRT. right? Critical race theory is not intended, for example, to make America less racist. It is quite the opposite and they'll never admit this, folks, they'll never say this, but what it intends to actually do is to make all of us more acutely aware of our differences, more separate, more angry and upset at these differences. And the net result of that, of course, will be more racism. And that is, and that's sad. It's sad and it's, it's, it's quite frankly perverse. Now, here is Rush. This is all the way back in 1990, talking about the homeless industrial complex. And this, um, he's talking about homeless advocacy, and he is absolutely spot
2: on. You see, my friends, I think the homeless advocacy is built upon fraud. The truth is that Mitch Snyder and the homeless advocacy in this country, and it can be documented, are not primarily trying to solve the problem but instead seizing an opportunity of the unfortunate situation the homeless people are in so as to empower themselves. See, look at how unfair the 80s were. Look at how unfair Reagan budget policies were. Look at what housing cuts did. This proves capitalism doesn't work. This is nothing but exploitation of the homeless folks designed to make you feel guilty, designed to attack the great systems of America which allow the greatest prosperity in the world. And
0: this by the way, this was true then. It's true today. And remember, by the way, this is why if you, if you take it all the way to the present, you'll notice that what the critical race theory agenda is. I know this was a comment about homelessness, but the critical race theory is the functional equivalent of homeless advocacy to homelessness it is that rela- it has that relationship what it is to critical race theory to solving race relations improving race race relations it's all, each of these uh, groups are just making the other the, the problem that they want to help worse now what i'm what i'm getting at here with the with the critical race theory component of this is is that it's you know that notice how it it the agenda the talking points all attack America. They are principally focused at tearing down America and and showing how evil and bad America is. And they're pointing to it just the same way as remember here in the context of the 1990s, early 1990s, the, the liberals were furious in this country over how successful Reagan was. And they were trying everything in their power to tear it down. And so every every particular element of the liberal left-wing agenda made great efforts to tear down and strike down the core of Reaganomics, which, of course, was you and I as Americans are limitless in our potential to to achieve and to, to lift ourselves up and to succeed. And indeed, it was a period of un- imaginable, unfathomable growth where people did lift themselves up. People did succeed. People suddenly, much to the dismay of the left, did not need the government, right? That's the, by the way, that is the promise of conservatism is that <laughs> we, we don't need the government. We, we need the government to get the hell out of the way, And that, uh, of course, then limits the government, and the less government there is, the less Democrats have power, and of course that makes them very sad. And when Democrats get sad, they start to attack Republicans, and that's what this is. And by the way, they'll they'll attack the country for their political goals. You'll never hear me on this program talking America down. It's not what I do. My parents came to this country with absolutely nothing but for their education, their their, uh, industriousness, their bravery. They came to this country and built incredible lives for themselves and for me and my sister. And this uh, this is the American dream. This is the American promise. When I look at critical race theory, when I look at this agenda that is being pushed on young people in our schools, it is. I mean it it by the way it it de-emphasizes the individual potential of the child and it explains why the child can't do whatever that whatever it is in life because of systemic racism because America's racist because of white rage because of all of these things that are that you know I mean certainly racism exists right but they are in the form that they are presented, these are fictions. And they are purposely divisive and purposefully limiting when taught to a young, impressionable student at the precise moment when that student ought to be told, You can do anything. America's the land of opportunity. Get up, work hard, be disciplined, be smart. Don't focus on on past wrongs. Look forward, don't look back. That is what we ought to be teaching our kids. But here's the problem. Whether it's homelessness, whether it's racism, whether it's the environment, whether it's whatever the issue, Democrats will always want us to be reduced to a pile of victims. If we're victims... We need them. If we're on our own, we don't. And that, my friends, is the God's honest truth. Be right back. Sam Rajofsky, The What's Right Show, continues in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up.
1: Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com.
0: Friends, great to be with you. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Your voice of reason in these troubled times. Common Sense Conservatism delivered daily, 1 to 3 p.m., Monday through Friday. Friends, today, this Friday, February 17th, two years since the passing of Rush Limbaugh. We remember him. We honor him today. I'm going through some of my my memories of of Rush and of his program that uh, I've wanted to share with you. Uh, my the premise of this, of course, is as I've as I mentioned, is that it all uh, what he said in the moment, his analysis, his insight, his humor, is all still very relevant today. He understood this country. He understood the left. He understood what conservatism is, and um, and as a consequence, it's timeless. Now, one thing that we are facing today that I think. In 1988, when Russia's program came on board, it would be tough, tough to imagine is the extent to which the left is willing to sacrifice the sexual innocence of kids for the sake of their agenda. Now, when I say it like that, of course, I think you all understand what I mean. It's unfathomable to me as a a kid that started first grade in 1986 that uh, first graders uh what is the 40 less than less than 40 years later (laughs) would be taught about their gender identities and about the fact that they might possibly be trans and that you know that you know that boys do this with boys and girls do this with girls and and you know, and books about throuples and all of this stuff, and I, I and I even hate to be that specific here because I understand this is a family program, but I'm just saying that for an adult, for example, adults like my parents in the '80s with kids in school, it would be very difficult for them to imagine some 35 years later a governor of the state. In the United States would be criticized by the left for saying, for insisting and making it law that kids not be taught any sex ed until they're at least in the fourth grade. That would be uh, back then a completely uncontroversial point. But here, uh, friends, is something to realize is that this agenda to sexualize our kids was afoot long before libs of TikTok began pulling back the curtain on all the insanity going on in our schools. And I mean by this, uh, there was a classic deal back in the 90s, early 90s, when Rush on his program was talking about the New York City school system. Now, remember Rush's show? from, I think, 1990 on, uh, was based at WABC in New York, and Rush moved from Sacramento uh, to uh, New York City, loved New York City with all his heart until New York City turned to crap, and he eventually made his way down to Florida. I may talk a little bit about that in a moment because, of course, that uh, is uh, very relatable to me, having being, of course, your favorite recovering Californian here in Nevada. I too had to pick up from my home where I had lived for most of my life and relocated to a state that is uh, friendlier uh, to me and my needs and my family but I digress so you know rush became a you know became acutely aware of everything going on in New York so whilst this was a national news story I'll tell you about it in a second he was covering something happening right you know minutes away from his studio And this had to do with the school system uh, putting condoms in schools, and there became a a controversy about how it was going to be funded. And here's Rush in the early 1990s talking about this, Uh, and and I just – just listen to this because I'm telling you these liberal teachers were – All about sexualizing kids. (laughs) All the way back then, this was just the entry level of how it all started. The
2: New York City school system won a close vote recently to distribute condoms on request to any high school student in the school system who wants one. The budgets are so tight, they may have to cut 18,000 teachers. The message is that it is more important to give students condoms in New York City than it is to give them teachers. (laughs) You know, of course, um, this story uh,
0: today would be considered, I mean, it's like, oh, we're just, you know, condoms in school, no big deal relative to all the other things going on in high schools, middle schools, and even elementary schools across the country. Just today, the Atlanta Journal Constitution put out a piece that is you know, I would almost describe it as somewhat critical of Republicans who have uh, in- introduced some legislation that would criminalize school librarians uh, their actions if they were to uh, let students check out obscene materials from the school library. And what is the reaction to this, by the way? The reaction, whenever it, it, Florida, uh, the insistence of Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature that a CRT be, be struck from books, this legislation, the immediate reaction from the left is, but First Amendment. Suddenly they care about the First Amendment. They don't care about the First Amendment one bit when it comes to publishing stories critical of the regime. But what they do what they do is the minute that their agenda comes under attack, presto, out comes the First Amendment, ready, spick and span, and back in vogue. So it's just I, I look at this and I and I and I think, I, even as early as 1991, the idea that you would cut teachers to give kids condoms when. Uh, The real issue, of course, being that in New York City and and elsewhere across America in this particular time, decimated by the welfare state, the American family was under attack. At no point in the 50s did you have to – educators have to scratch their heads and think about, well, geez, I've got to get these kids some condoms. No. Families were intact. Fathers were in the home. Kids were taught right from wrong. They were supervised. 1980s, early 90s, before widespread video games, before the internet, before the uh, over-availability of pornography and all the other influences that are so damaging to our young people. The primary driver of kids having uh, extramarital sex, having... Being you know, being overly sexualized, being uh, test scores going down, truancy going up, all of this stuff, consequence of the welfare state. A program pushed by the Democratic Party, uh, Johnson's Great Society. The idea that women, mothers, could get by without fathers in the home. Fathers could abdicate their responsibility financially and otherwise. Because the state was there to support kids. And at the same time, of course, chasing religion out of schools, chasing morals out of school. The idea that the sexual revolution allowed all of us to, uh, I guess, live a more free and liberated life. But the consequences of all of this to the American family were devastating. And here we were. Just as if a doctor were only to treat the effects, the symptoms of a disease without getting to the root of it. Here again, the folks running New York City and frankly, uh, even at the national level, uh, were uh, coming up with solutions, uh, band-aids, if you will, prophylactic measures. (laughs) They were not. (laughs) These These were reactive moves under the guise of compassion, but I think belied by an interest to um, to take away innocence of our kids and, and not accept responsibility for the fact that this was a problem that the left-wing agenda had created. So th- again, beyond this time, funny, as always, Rush delivering a great point while at the same time uh, having a bit of fun with it. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, friends, grateful to have you with us, remembering Rush Limbaugh today, two years uh, from his passing. I know many of you, he was uh, someone you, you 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 knew every day, listening to him right here on KXNT. The What's Right Show, Sam Rajovsky, I'll be back in just a moment.
1: If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer.
0: It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So
1: call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com.
0: Friends, welcome back. Sam Marjofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Uh, delivering common-sense conservatism here on the What's Right show Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. That's right, starting last week, uh, Monday, we uh, have an extra hour here, two hours a day. I've been told that if I can keep this up, they might give me a third hour. At that point, I'll just quit my day job and be here with you. 24 7 (laughs) welcome back welcome back today of course uh given that it's two years since russia's passing we're remembering him and one thing one thing that i have to tell you was probably the greatest moment of the trump presidency was when on the 4th of february president donald trump awarded Rush Limbaugh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, at the State of the Union speech. Now, I I missed this event. I had been in the I had been at the State of the Union the the year prior. I was really kicking myself that I, I I did not attend this particular speech. I wasn't there for it to see it. Now I don't know if you know some of the context for that day. Rush had been diagnosed, I think, with his uh with his cancer, uh, he'd been diagnosed a day before and was, was basically en route to a treatment in Boston. And apparently what, what had happened is, is he had received word via Hannity. Sean Hannity reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I, you really need to be in D- We need to get you to D.C. Trust me on this. And it was, it was Hannity, and of all people, Matt Drudge, who were, uh, according to Rush and Bo Snardley, Rush's longtime producer and call screener, instrumental in arranging this event to take place. And you know, and, 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 and so Rush is there. He's on the, in the balcony over off to the – well, looking from the dais on the left side of the room where the presidential family, first family, second family sit together with their guests. He's there with his wife, Catherine. And uh, right in the middle, second half of the speech, uh, he is acknowledged by President Trump, a standing ovation from every Republican in the room. The Democrats all looked, well, forlorn isn't even the right word. They looked ill. They looked absolutely miserable, silent, sullen. Mind you, the second Trump impeachment process was running its course, and no love lost between Trump and the Democrats in the chamber. Describing that today as tense would be an understatement. Now, I can't. I'll t- so, why did it move me? Well, it was, you know, one of the things that I, I absolutely uh, adore and that's really the word adore about trump is his and, and he is criticized oftentimes for not having loyalty but his his, his long-term loyalty to people that he has a relationship with and and, uh, and 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 you know one thing a lot of people don't realize is that, that trump and and rush uh, knew each other quite well from obviously from new york city and later also from florida and in the lead-up to Trump running for president, you know, Rush and Trump would get together, and Trump would pepper Rush with all sorts of questions about, well, what do you think of this? And what would a campaign like this look like? And, and Rush, of course, answering his questions and only in time realizing that this was a man, Trump, Donald Trump, a man who was quite serious about running for the presidency, which, of course, he ultimately did and successfully. Now, this, uh, this, this uh, moment, of course, where everybody, we, we'd, you know, the, the idea, that knowing that the stage four terminal cancer diagnosis that Rush shared, I, so I may have gotten the diagnosis earlier, but he shared it on air the day before and then was leaving for treatment. I think that was the order of operations. Uh, for those of us that loved Rush... This moment was perhaps the greatest, single greatest thing that Trump could do. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that it set the left absolutely ablaze. The New York Times, a day after, uh, published uh, a piece on this. It is absolutely dripping with furor. Quote, in an unusual departure from protocol, Rush Limbaugh was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Trump during the State of the Union address. One day after the conservative talk show host revealed that he had advanced lung cancer, on a night thick with tension of the impeachment proceedings against Trump, the presence of Mr. Limbaugh represented a stark contrast with the Democrats. In the House chamber, many of whom withheld their applause for much of the speech. Mister Limbaugh, it goes on to say, rose from his seat, saluted Mister Trump before pumping his fist. See, they were just—I mean, it—you it, can—you can sense the restraint of rage here. Mr. Trump said that in recognition for all that Mr. Limbaugh had done for the nation as inspiration for millions of Americans and his charity work, he was giving him the country's highest civilian honor. The piece then goes on to mention all the people like Audrey Hepburn who were given the award and somehow to explain that it was, tr- that, tr- that, that that Limbaugh was beneath this. Pelosi remains seated at Mr. Trump. He preys on Mr. Limbaugh. It must have nearly killed her. Remember, it so enraged her that she then later ripped up Trump's speech. Uh, the selection of Mr. Limbaugh for the honor was not devoid of criticism. Some health care activists recalled Mr. Limbaugh's ardent opposition to the Affordable Care Act. Well, yes. No, duh. <laughs> uh, brings up the Sandra Fluck controversy and all this stuff. But um, nonetheless, uh, Mr. Trump also you know, gave these awards to Tiger Woods. And Sheldon Adelson right here from Las Vegas, Nevada. So, look, there it is. Um, it was a great moment. And and I think, you know, I think we, um, yeah, I think, oh, yeah, Bill Cosby got a medal of freedom from uh, from George W. I don't know where the, I'm sure there was some criticism of that later. Oh, Strom Thurmond got one, too. Well, I'm guessing from – Strom Thurmond, of course, was a – well, he was a Republican longtime senator. I've met him, by the way, years ago. Does not have a great civil rights record. Uh, My point is – oh, he got it from H.W. Bush. See, the Bushes gave some some ones that are certainly a lot more controversial. Well, at any rate – this, uh, this was a great moment. By the way, this: this when, when Rush passed, one of the things that infuriated me more than anything, and I still remember the people that I know I forget the people I don't, but the people that I, you know, consider to be, you know acquaintances and even friends, maybe, who, when Rush passed, people who never listened to a show, people who never knew him, people who never, you know, who just read the, the sound bites. Or heard the sound bites, or read the the quotes, and wrote him off as some sort of I, I don't I don't know uh, mean spirited, uh, deranged person. Uh, I'll never forget the people who who sounded off positively when he passed, and and it's it it took me a while. I'm a forgiving person. I really am. I'm. I'm Maybe this is why CRT bothers me so much. I, I, I'm just a firm believer you have to move on from things. You cannot hold grudges. I do get upset in the moment. I get I can get worked up, folks. I do. And I did. I remember I wanted to just reply to everyone on Twitter that day. I held back. And uh, but I, I do I, I still it still cuts me that people would be so wantonly cruel when at the same time, their criticism of, 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 of Limbaugh was that he was wantonly cruel. Right? That's the, that's the irony of it. I, I saw this list after the award was given. CBS News did a list of controversial and outrageous things that Rush Limbaugh said, and I think these are all really funny. <laughs> well, some of it was it – was in the context, you can't just pull a quote out of a whole segment or a whole hour of a show. This was a good one. Have you ever noticed how all composite pictures of wanted criminals resemble Jesse Jackson? (laughs) Uh, Thing is, we use the prosecutorial standards of the Democratic Party as Republicans. Jesse Jackson would be a wanted criminal. All right, got to go. Come back here in just a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. More on Rush when we return. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT.
1: Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to salmonashlaw.com. No pressure, just answers, because you deserve
0: what's right. What would Rush say? Greetings, friends, conversationalists. Right, that was one of his opening lines. I always loved that. Uh, and I'll tell you, friends, uh, sometimes I catch myself wanting to use his phrasing, and uh, even occasionally it'll slip out here on the What's Right show. Sam Marjofsky, your host, reporting for duty, second hour of Friday, February 17th, remembering two years uh, since Russia's passing. One show, friends, that really, really sticks out to me in my memory is the last show that rush did uh before the end of the year in 2020 now remember he he passed away on the 17th of february in uh in 2021 so this would have been you know roughly a a you know month and a half or so 2 months before he left us and he he had a marvelous opening monologue that day he mentioned how he normally reserves his thanks his end of the year gratitude expressions of gratitude for the third hour, but that given the circumstances of that year, of course his diagnosis uh sometime in january february his uh the receiving the presidential medal of freedom in 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 February, going for treatment, extending his life through treatment, going through that process, and facing his Inevitable, proximate mortality. Uh, he wanted to express that gratitude early on in his program. It was a profoundly emotional show that I think many of you had um, remembered remembered hearing. And it was it was in this show that at one point he he really, well, he explained he talked about Lou Gehrig. How Lou Gehrig, you know, on, on the day that he was, he he was, he was not throwing in the towel, but he was forced by virtue of his disease to quit playing baseball, a sport he loved. And this was a guy that was there every day. I mean, he had a, until Cal Ripken came along, was, was the most consistent player. And Lou Gehrig gets up at the time of his retirement speech during Yankee Stadium and says, I'm the luckiest guy alive. And, and Rush basically says in this, in this show, he says, "I don't. I never understood it until now." And what he mentioned and he talked about was the enormous outpouring of love that he got from everybody following his diagnosis. And then, as was very typical for him, as to everyone that knew him personally, was that he was a was was actually a, a, a deeply um, humble. Person who never liked to be actually the center of attention when, when, when not in front of the golden EIB microphone. And it was, uh, it was this, right, that he was saying, talking about how this is such a challenge, not for him, the cancer diagnosis, the terminal diagnosis, but rather for his family. And here is
2: what he said. I can't be self-absorbed. About it when that is the tendency when you are told that you've got a due date, you have an expiration date. A lot of people never get told that, and so they they um, don't face life this way. This is not a complaint. I'm I'm simply this is why I say so much. I want to say today, and so much I want to say. Well, so much I want to say exactly as I'm as I'm feeling it because my my point in all of this today is gratitude. My my point in everything today that I share with you about this is to say thanks and to tell everybody involved how much I love you from the bottom of a sizable and growing and still beating heart. And this
0: I mean this is difficult to listen to two years after the fact, more than two years later, but it is uh, just another example of how Rush was and still is uh, an, an enduring uh, example of a kind of strength that very, very few of us are, are truly blessed with, and and but also a selflessness. You know, in being in media. It's interesting because, of course, Russia his his um, uh, show imaging and his style of his show. There was there was this uh, self promotion and and um, and and a bit of bit of bragging at times. It would seem right, and people that would listen to the program tune in for a little bit would feel as though there was well, the criticism would be that that he was uh, he was very full of himself and. Now that I have done a show for a couple years in L.A. and on my second year here in Las Vegas, I, I can tell you, you know, even a even a local talk radio show getting on the air for two hours for Rush it was three a day, you have to be as the host pretty gosh dang sure of yourself. It's good radio when I get on, and I'm I'm confident. If I wasn't confident, it would suck. You wouldn't want to listen to any of it. So when he called himself Maharashi and all these things, the Grand Pooh and, and and the like, you know, you it was it was fabulous. Those of us who listened to it, it was it was tremendous. And the reason it was so good is because we knew and we understood that behind it wasn't somebody that actually thought of himself as 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 you know the end all be all, and the rest of us all were, were peasants to him. It was quite the opposite. And one of the things that really irked me for years continues to irk me is the comparisons uh, uh, of Rush to Howard Stern. Now I've only listened to, uh, I I find I find uh, the Stern show, uh, this is Howard Stern, to be impossible to listen to. Occasionally funny, but it's cruel and it's not my kind of radio. I'll just be honest and tell you that. But the part that just bothers me deeply is that Howard Stern is such an a-hole to everyone and and anyone, particularly those close to him. He is a liberal, so he gets a pass. He is a left-winger, so he is, of course, by definition, by virtue of his ideology, impossible to criticize. I saw today a number of news stories about Don Lemon. Don Lemon, of course, yesterday, you know, he stepped in it. Poppy Harlow pushing back on his claims that Nikki Haley is Pastor Prime. I'm surprised to actually I wake up this morning and, you know, seeing maybe in the New York Post is, you know, the, the Lemon, you know, Lemon twist, you know, has, yeah, but Lemon t- Don Lemon today had to take a day off. You think that, Big media is going after him for this. No, he gets a pass because he's a liberal. He gets a pass because he's gay. He gets a pass because he's black. He's He's got his identity politics working on his behalf, and they excuse him from having to be decent. And Howard Stern, I don't know if you know this about him. Howard Stern is, I, I call him an a-hole. I could... I could use a whole lot of other words. There was a, a, an employee, a longtime employee of his, in his show, studio, mind you, a show that's made him hundreds of millions of dollars. A longtime employee's wife comes down with cancer. And this employee, this is documented, right? It's a number of sources of well-sourced articles. This employee comes down with cancer and, and sends out a, a, a fundraising email uh, kind of around the office. And Howard Stern yells at him and tells him not to do that on company time. Yeah, Howard Stern's a notoriously crappy tipper. He treats all of us other little people like we're garbage. He's the king. Well, Rush was anything but that. He was known for being tremendously generous, helping people quietly where he could, people reaching out, you know, reaching out, and he would. The guy was a giver to his core. Now, I ascribe to this philosophy, I cannot tell you how deeply I am, I am blessed every time I give. I will go out with friends who, who question the way I tip here in town and wherever I go. You don't need to do that, Sam. Come on, come on, this is, this is you're being, it's ridiculous. What's in it for you? People ask that. What's in it for you? Well, there's something really incredible. When you listen to Rush facing death on live radio, which is tough in and of itself, look at me here right now, facing that mortality, and what lifts him up? Well, it's the same thing that lifted Lou Gehrig up. It is the same thing that lifts up any person who positively influences the lives of people around himself or herself. What matters in the end is not the money that you have in your bank account, not your fame. It matters how you have touched people, influenced people, helped people. And I, unlike Rush, I'm not a particularly religious person. I may, but I am friends. I am a deeply, deeply, uh, karma Aware human being. I think what you put out there, you get back. I think what you give makes you richer. I think that sacrifice brings great reward. It was this particular moment on that fateful December 2020 show where Rush... Really, really uh, touched me in a way that I, I know he he, he he may have uh, may have touched many of you. All right. I got it going long here. I got to take a break. They're yelling at me. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT.
1: Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. No pressure, just answers, because you deserve what's right.
0: Hi, welcome back. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. And listen, friends, um, I, one thing I, <laughs> some of us are old enough to remember, the Rush Limbaugh TV show. Now, I, I didn't see as much of this radio show as I would have wanted because we didn't have a TV growing up. I mentioned that earlier in the program. So I didn't catch many of these, many of these shows, but they were great. And it's look it's it's tough. I you know Rush was a radio guy and the, the the show didn't succeed for whatever reason. Uh but it was it was fabulous. It was a great watch. And I've gone back since of course and caught many of the episodes. I think I now have seen all of them. Uh and it was it was in this particular time. When what year was this, Robbie? Let's see here. It was Well, they were talking about this was so ahead of its time. Well, and it was so current. It's like 1990, 1991, right? So he he does this thing. He shows up on stage, and now I have to explain this because it's not a radio clip, it's a TV clip. He shows up behind his desk. You remember the set? And rushes up there and he's got all these ribbons. He's got all these ribbons on him, all these little all this all this flare. And here's what he says in his monologue.
2: Because I'm wearing these ribbons, I care more than any of you about anything. And these ribbons say so. I want you people sitting at home and you people in the audience, look down at your lapel right now. I want you to do this. Put the camera back on me. Do this. <laughs> When you look down, what do you see? You don't see anything because you're not wearing any ribbons. It means you're a bigot. It means you're a racist. It means you're a sexist. It means you're a homophobe. It probably means you're a white guy. It probably means you're a European. And you, and you alone, are responsible for all the ills of America. But I'm not because I'm wearing these ribbons.
0: I care more than you. (laughs) <laughs> this is So good. And by the way, folks, don't you think of this particular moment in time every time you're out somewhere around and there's some dude this week, right? I'm not talking about April of 20, but February 17th, 2023, some guy, some gal walking around Vegas, getting on a plane, whatever it is, wearing two masks. Or maybe even just a stupid loosely fitting mask. And it's... (laughs) can't possibly think now at this point with everything that it matters that it's making any difference. No. What it is is you're telling everybody I care. Same with in the summer of George people putting up those black squares on Instagram. Black lives matter. You put up the slogan. I'm good. I've put up the slogan, everything's fine. On some level, I know it's not exactly analogous, folks, but on some level, it's no different than the obligatory banner that you have to put up in your window if you live in a totalitarian regime. Very few people, very few people refused to put out the Nazi flag when they were living in Hitler's Germany. Very few people in my parents' country would refuse to put up the friendship flags with the Soviet Union and the communist Czechoslovakian state. Very few people. But I'm telling you, it's a great and 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 spot-on observation about how the left needs to needs to show everyone what they believe. This is what I believe. This is my, you know, I'm good. I'm absolved of any responsibility for anything. Now, speaking of bigotry, Rush one time, I think this was a CPAC meeting. uh, He he gives a keynote speech at CPAC, 2009, and he totally flips the script on bigotry. And this is, by the way, this is 2009. Let me see here. I want to point something out that's important. I want to connect the dots for you. This is four years before the Donovan McNabb controversy where... Of course, Rush was, that was one of many times he was accused of being a racist bigot. But these particular remarks of Rush's at CPAC in 2009, four years before Donovan McNabb and a whole other list of quote-unquote controversial statements that he has given, allegedly, here is him giving the most spot-on takedown of what bigotry actually is and how it can be beat.
2: The bigotry that we are all charged with just so you across the United States of America know and you'll see demonstrated here as the afternoon goes on doesn't exist on our side. We want everybody to succeed. I am <laughs> We we want the country to succeed and for the country to succeed its people its individuals must succeed. Every one among us must be pursuing his ambition or her desire, whatever, with excellence, trying to be the best they can be, not told, as they are told by the Democrat Party, you really can't do that. You don't have what it takes. Besides, you're a minority or you're a woman and there are too many people that are willing to discriminate against you. You can't get anywhere. You need to depend on us.
0: You need to depend on us. By the way, this, true, was all of this was true in 2009. It's all true now in 2023. You know, we conservatives, we believe in that independence. We believe that every person, regardless of their race, religion, or creed, is able to go out and succeed in the United States of America. We believe in merit. We believe in opportunity. We believe in gratitude we even believe when necessary and this is proven statistically in charity but what we do not want is to create dependency because we value the individual above the collective and we do not seek political power from those people who would become dependent on us in order for us to achieve those political means i'm I think this was absolutely spot on, and and at every turn, right, I, I and I need to say this, right, because it's 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 important because the lie still persists today among people who are critics of Russia's, that he was some sort of a bigot. And and, and everybody that knew him and, and knew him well, uh, anything was further from the truth. By the way, the Donovan McNabb controversy, you know, uh, this deal with Donovan McNabb, uh, I have a quote here. I'm going to. I'm going to share this with you here after the break because I think it's impor- It's an important callback. And uh, incidentally, it's another example of where Rush was ahead of his time in his uh, social observation critiques. All right, you're listening to Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 Kicks, and T The What's Right Show. We'll continue in a moment as we remember Rush Limbaugh two years after his passing. Mm-hmm.
1: If you've been in an accident, there's
0: no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So
1: call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com.
0: Welcome back, friends. You're listening to the What's Right Show here on Newstalk 840 KXNT. Sam Marjofsky here, rarely wrong, always right Nevada's favorite recovering Californian Friday, the 17th of February. We are uh, taking today's show to remember Rush Limbaugh two years after his passing. Uh, Just before the break, the Donovan McNabb controversy, right? This is one of the classic moments where, where the left, the mainstream media, and everybody seized on an opportunity to cry racism, Rush's comments uh, on Donovan McNabb on ESPN that ultimately cost him his ESPN hosting uh, gig. That I think, you know, he never, it's not that it was a tremendously profitable thing, it was just something that he enjoyed. Rush being a consummate football fan, this was, uh, this was a big deal to him. Now, the, the, the quote, the actual quote I have it here, and it's, it's part of the list compiled by CBS News of the most outrageous things Rush Limbaugh ever said was this, quote, on Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Donovan McNabb, I think what we've had here, and this is Rush speaking, I think what we've had here is a little social concern in the NFL. (laughs) You think? But way, the side note here, the NFL uh, continues to show great social concern, oftentimes at the expense, in my view, of the game itself. But Rush continued, the media has been very desirous that a black quarterback do well. There is a little hope invested in McNabb, and he got a lot of credit for the performance of his team that he didn't deserve. The defense carried the team. Now, I've talked to people uh, who are diehard football fans who've analyzed this through and through, look at these, you know, were during the time that this was all going on, and they... Apolitical people and they're like, yeah, you know what, Donovan McNabb. I, I don't know why he's getting recognition, but you know he was not the best quarterback, and and it's true. You know he's certainly getting a lot of praise that he does, doesn't deserve. And the you know the the, the takeaway here or the the uh, funny thing I guess the observation I have here about this whole thing and the controversy how it developed is ultimately this boiled down into Rush criticizing uh, Donovan McNabb, saying that he uh, wasn't a good quarterback because he was black. That's not at all what he said, right? He's saying he's getting he's getting pumped up by the NFL and by the media, by everybody, because they're they really want a black quarterback to do a really great job. And, you know, I tell you, within the context of today's world, you know, you look at, for example, the Biden administration and all of the... Uh, Affirmative action hires that they make. I'm not just talking about people of color. I'm talking about LGBTQIA+, and other minority groups that are overrepresented in Biden's cabinet. Everybody's applauding. Oh, my gosh, it's fabulous. It's so diverse. Good job, Joe. But then we end up with people who are wholly unqualified to do the job. No one, no one in their right mind looks at Corrine Jean-Pierre, the spokesperson for the uh, White House, and goes, man, she's qualified. She is just a fabulous, fabulous public speaker, has a command of the facts, so smart, thinks on her feet. I mean, look, she is so bad, Corrine Jean-Pierre, that she makes Jen Psaki look like like, uh, a reincarnation of Paul Harvey. So this... um, to me, is it was another example. Rush, by the way, of course, and it needs to be said by those of us who are around now to defend him, was anything but a racist. And uh, people that knew him, of course, he was, um, he was anything but that. But uh, very easy for the left to throw that around. And by the way, the criticism or the observation that I have now as looking at all this is that, look, you have – the left comes out and makes race an issue in everything. Gives this person and that person a priority specified on the virtue of the color of their skin. And then when we criticize it, when we conservatives get up and say, ah, that's a problem, you can't, yeah, look at that. They're doing it because of race. Then they turn around and call us racist. And that's is their entire mo, and the more you understand that, the 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 more the less you care when they throw around you racist, you racist. it Doesn't matter. Now, speaking of you know of liberal caused events, this one was also a controversial statement about the uh, man made liberal global warming. This was great. Uh, this was. Uh, let's see when was this? Man made liberalism. This was right after Ferguson rush in 2014. Uh, you know, Again, we, th- this is all relevant now today. Look at the train derailment government um, as mandating everything in your life uh, and, and yet can't protect you from, from, from anything occurring that's bad. But they just want to capitalize on bad things happening in order to gain power. Here is Rush making light of it.
2: Borrow a little bit from the modern day global warming meme Baltimore and Ferguson burn due to man made liberalism. That's what's on display here. Man made liberalism, political climate change is destroying America's urban core, not rising sea levels, not melting glaciers. Not hurricanes, none of these things that we've been told are going to be the end of us. Nope, it's man-made liberalism that is destroying America's urban core. Look, if I have to hear another
0: story about how Miami is going to be wiped from the face of the earth because of quote-unquote climate change, I'm going to laugh because I'm perplexed why smart, intelligent, wealthy, successful human beings are leaving California, for example, are leaving New York and moving into what is a, a, an eradication zone. The re- <laughs> Rush was absolutely right. Man-made liberalism is the greatest threat to civilization, not this faux uh, exaggerations related to the environment. And such, and of course, specifically dealing with the riots, uh, urban uh, destruction occurring in Baltimore and Ferguson, as the left allowed those cities to burn, we saw this repeat itself, of course, in 2020 and 2021. In everywhere uh, where uh, where the libs controlled cities, destruction followed. So this was a, a, a tremendous, a tremendous uh, observation and uh, obviously hilarious. Right, I'm going to take a quick break right now. Friends, thank you for indulging me here this hour as we recall some of Russia's finest moments. Sam Arjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up.
1: Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com.
0: Hi, welcome back. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday. 1 to 3 PM. That's right. We're here for two hours now. And I'm I'm loving it. I'm on week two of it. My stamina is up. My voice is recovering. I'm feeling I'm feeling good. And I, I'm really enjoying the extra time that we have. Uh comes useful, particularly when there's a lot of stuff going on. And I will get more into all the news of the day. Next week I'll tackle everything going on in Carson City, bring you up to speed with the insanity that is transpiring there. So trust me, I'll have my sleeves rolled up and ready to go. But today I wanted to take the program and remember Rush Limbaugh. Many of you, of course, uh, were loyal and faithful listeners of his. He was the greatest of all time, the true goat of radio and an inspiration to many, many of us. Uh, For me, as I've said over and over again now, I, I, I grew up listening to him and his influence on my life cannot be overstated. Now, one thing that I recall about Rush that was of, I guess it was kind of a, a hallmark of his, is his uh, unwavering optimism and faith in our country. And it's, it's something that I share with him uh, on, a, on, a, on a deep, deep level. And I will tell you, um, I I just, you know, sometimes you'll listen. I'll be tuning into a radio, listening to a podcast, other hosts, very smart people, people I agree with. And they are just down and out and depressed about how things are. And that I don't like. I don't enjoy it. I don't like thinking that way. I believe in the power of positive thinking. I believe in... <clears throat> I believe in being optimistic. I believe that there's always hope. I think when you look at any story, any moment in time of history, when things were uh, incredibly bleak, the people that make it through are the people that believe that there's going to be another day, that there's going to be a tomorrow. If you don't have that, you don't get through. And I think the, uh, the story of, Amer- of America in particular supports this type of thinking in in, in that it's it's america exists as a consequence of this thinking as a matter of evolution that americans that we are positive people so i you know i i think you know one thing that i loved from the opening segment of the final 2020 broadcast december 2020 it's about a minute long It's a criticism of Biden's holiday message. Biden was the uh, president-elect at this point. And this was, I, I think, just so well put, and it was such a stark contrast to what Biden was saying to us Americans at the time that I think it bears replaying. Here is Rush in December of 2020.
2: Joe Biden, holiday message. Our darkest days are ahead of us. Folks, I have to tell you, if I were president-elect of the country, it's the last thing I would say. We Americans have adapted to our problems. We've adapted to changing evolutionary things in our lives, in our country, because of our freedom. Our freedom has allowed our adaptability. If disaster is coming our way, we don't just sit there and endure it. We come up with ways to avoid it, to beat it back, to overcome it. But we don't just sit there and accept it. And as such, we don't just resign ourselves to the fact that we're living in the darkest days because we, at least to this point, still have the greatest degree of freedom of any people on Earth. Now, it's under assault and under attack, and we all know this. But I don't believe our darkest days are ahead of us. I never have. Like people have been asking, you, you, you've always told us it'd be time to panic. It's, time, it's never time to panic, folks. It's never, ever going to be time to give up on our country. It'll never be time to give up on the United States. It'll never be time to give up on yourself. Trust me.
0: And remember, these are words being said by a person with, a, um, with an expiration date facing his mortality. I think there's a powerful lesson here. Now, in one of Russia's favorite uh, – excuse me, one of his uh, final shows, this was back in January of 21. Remember, he passed uh, February 17th. Uh, he had something to say that I, I think is a, a, a great way here to understand better what's going on right now, not just within the context of the, of the country but within the context of the Republican Party. And here's what Rush said about Democrats not wanting to persuade people, not wanting to win anybody over. that They're just going to do things their way and that there's a lesson in it for Republicans.
2: The Democrats are never going to have to convince you of anything. They're just going to do it. If you disagree with them having a 13-seat Supreme Court, too bad. They're just going to do it. They're going to have the votes and they're going to do it. They're not going to persuade you. This is what we're missing. This is not retail politics as it's always been. The Democrats aren't going to have to persuade anybody once they get states in Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. They don't have to persuade people now because they've only got 50 seats in the Senate, power sharing with uh, Mitch McConnell and so forth. But I'm talking, their long term plan is to not need to persuade anybody. Do not doubt me. That is, that is the core of their belief. That is the core of their agenda. Now,
0: Rush, of course, is absolutely right. This was true in January of 21. It was true in 1990. It is true today in February of 23. Now, what is perplexing to me is that there are still strong and influential conservative voices that believe that we need to be nice that believe that Republicans ought to take the path of persuasion. That we ought to resist efforts to be, well, how should I say it, to use the powers of the state to fight the left-wing woke agenda. And I will tell you that, especially, let's say, in the context of someone like Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida... There are some prominent conservative voices that are critical of DeSantis for his – well, for being – for strong-arming and pushing through legislation that cements in conservative values. This is not how we ought to be doing it. We ought to – be conciliatory with the Democrats. We ought to – they do it to us. And I think one thing that now has become crystal clear, more so today than when Rush even said this back in January of 21 – is that you cannot just be endlessly conciliatory. You cannot just rely and fall back on a libertarian approach. Well, we don't really want laws or government intervention and da-da-da. Because you know what? Republicans who think this way become useful idiots to the Democrats in their pursuit of power, in their pursuit of their agenda, in their end game. That is what we end up doing. Now, I always uh, say here on the program that, well, (laughs) when we talk about bipartisanship, that big word in Washington, D.C., that gets people that are squishy in the middle feeling really good about themselves. Oh, it's bipartisan. How lovely. Republicans and Democrats getting along. Bipartisanship means something different to Democrats than it does to Republicans. I know what it means to Republicans. Republicans think, well, okay, we're, we're just a little give and take. For Democrats, bipartisanship means Republicans doing what Democrats want. That's it. Plain and simple. There's, there's no no other element to it. And if you doubt that, you got to wake up. you got to look around you. Now, here in this... Uh, He was referring to the um, the efforts uh, chatter about uh, getting the Supreme Court packed, adding justices, which, of course, in theory could be done. Then adding uh, Senate seats, right? But Puerto Rico and Washington getting, you know, getting those would be reliable Democratic constituencies. And as such, there would be no real meaningful pickup for the House of Representatives, For those for those states, because, you know, it's not a big population base, but no matter how small the state, of course, you get two Senate seats. So it'd be a pickup of plus four democratically reliable votes for the party. So there it is. Absolutely true, was true then and is true now. Now, I'll end this on a light note here because we're going to have to run. But this was Rush CPAC 2009 telling a joke about himself, God, and Larry King. I absolutely
2: love this. Larry King passed away, goes to heaven. <laughs> he's greeted by St. Peter at the gates. St. Peter says, welcome Mr. King, it's great to have you here. I wanna show you around, give you an idea of what's here. Maybe you can pick a place that you'd like to reside. King says, I just have one question, is Rush Limbaugh here? <laughs> no, 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 he's got a lot of time yet, Mr. King. No worries. <laughs> So St. Peter begins the tour. Larry King sees the various places, and they're just beyond anything we can imagine in terms of beauty. Finally gets to the biggest room of all with this giant throne. And over the throne is a flashing, beautiful, angelic neon sign that says Rush Limbaugh. (laughs) And Larry King looks at St. Peter and says, I thought you said he wasn't here. He's not. He's not. This is God's room. He just thinks he's Rush Limbaugh.
0: <laughs> People went wild, those of you who saw this happen uh in the moment it was a great it was a great gag. Um and and so I suppose uh in our in our faith and uh, belief that there is a life after this one. It's my sincere hope that Rush is up there somewhere with God and you know enjoying that beautiful flashing angelic neon sign. Friends, I hope you've uh, allowed me and, and not been too cross with me of not getting to today's events and, and, and enjoying this program here and, and remembering Rush. Of course, as always, you give me your thoughts. I, I'll, my email, sam at salmonashlaw.com, sam at sam law.com, The podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Odyssey app, all places where you can get the What's Right Show. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you next week.